Hi, I'm Joe Hodes, Chief Marketing Officer for Wana Brands in Boulder, Colorado. And I'm proud to work in cannabis because I feel like it's an area where we can have real social change uh, and real uh, healthcare change in this country. And there's so few opportunities to, to impact change in the way that I think cannabis can. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. I'm your host, Carson Humiston, the founder of Vangst. And today, I'm so excited to have Joe Hodes with us. Joe is the chief marketing officer at Wana Brands, Colorado's number one edible, amazing business that has been in business for a really long time. They've been pioneers in the space. Joe has been in the industry for 10 years. So we're excited to hear Joe's perspective on what the industry was like a decade ago and where it is today and where Joe thinks it will be in the next decade. So Joe, thank you so much for being here with us today. We're so happy to have you. Well, thanks, Carson. I really appreciate that. And so 10 years, and I think that throughout those 10 years, having served in a couple of different roles uh, as chief marketing officer, sometimes on operations for smaller companies, I've had an opportunity to really get pretty uh, wide and pretty deep in a number of different areas in the industry. And you know, one thing I know for sure is that um, I'm proud to work in cannabis because an industry, and there's few of them left, that you can actually have real significant change and see it in real time and hear f- feedback from consumers and from communities in real time about that impact. And, and I think that to have that opportunity is, is a really an amazing feature of this industry that I think perhaps some people don't always um, get an opportunity to see firsthand. Absolutely. We're going to things that I wanted to talk about today, but why don't you start out by talking to us a little bit about how you ended up deciding to join the cannabis industry? Well, so along about 2010, when it was still medical only in Colorado, <clears throat> I was working with an ad agency here and we had a uh, person who worked for us who came back from lunch and said, hey, I talked to this company that's making a pot soda. He's a buddy of mine. Would we be interested in doing some brand work for them? And I said, well, of course, because that sounds really interesting. And uh, took it to my creative team. They, of course, wanted to know when they were going to get free samples. And we ended up doing not only the creative work, but also a lot of, we did intercepts at dispensaries and things like that. And that's when the, the light bulb went off for me. When I saw some of that data coming back in terms of who was consuming, why they were consuming, how they were consuming, I began to understand the the, the depth and breadth and the complexity of this industry pretty pretty instantaneously. Now, I'd always been a consumer and I'd always been a, a, in favor of legalization, but had never really looked at it from an industry perspective. So it was that point that I said, okay, this is something I really want to get deeper into. So we did a bunch of the work for them. I kept in touch with this company. And ultimately when adult use legalization was passed here in Colorado, reached back out to these guys and said, hey, I'd, I'd love to, to take a, a jump from the uh, agency side back to the corporate side. And I became the chief marketing officer for Dixie Elixirs, was Dixie Brands now, but Dixie Elixirs at the time, in uh, the first week of adult use legalization here in Colorado, so January 2014. Wow. So you started with Dixie early, early days. Talk to us about what it was like in those early days of Colorado being with probably the most well-known brand in the entire state. It was crazy. I mean, you know, because we were all of us, the state, the regulators, the communities, we're all kind of figuring it out as we went along because we didn't know exactly how this was going to end up. So 
you know, first big push was <clears throat> how do we change the packaging to make it uh, child resistant and compliant with new rules? And how is it going to look on the shelf? And actually, that was one of the first opportunities I had to really establish a foundation for what does a brand in this industry look like? Because I realized that these consumers walking into the store wouldn't understand one product from another because there's no brand loyalty at that point. And for that matter, people didn't really understand all the various formats they would have access to. So our first line of thought was let's make a packaging scheme that looks and feels very professional and very well done because that kind of became the contract with the consumer. If this company's spending dollars and making packaging that's appropriate, um, hopefully their products are something I can trust. And I think that bet paid off really well. So I think if you you look back in the first, let's say six months of, of 2014, you would look at all the different brands and products that are out there, ours stood out head and shoulders above the rest. And, and that made a huge difference for us. But at the same time, we had a number of different things early on in the industry that led to changes from dosing to how we mark the, the, the products, et cetera. And that became the foundation for many other states as well. So I had the opportunity to be involved in a lot of that regulatory process, which was really exciting as well. And as a, as a parent of, of three kids, it was an opportunity for me to also help shape an industry in a way that I thought was safest and most effective. And so in the, in the early days, figuring out who your target customer and how you were going to brand the product when there was literally no market research in advance of you coming in, like, how did you go about that process? Well, I'll still say there's not a ton of market research, to be honest. We're getting a lot more data on on sort of the sales side and understanding product velocity and sales data. But the, the fundamental consumer data doesn't really come across very strongly in cannabis still. So we kind of formulated products that we said, okay, we know in general, we want to price ourselves at a little bit of a premium. We want to come across as a premium brand. We want to be in formats that are going to appeal to that consumer. So we have a broad understanding of kind of the general target that we want to pursue. But we also then are quickly re- realizing in 2014 how much control the butt tender would have in that conversation. So what uh, appeals to the butt tender that they're then able to translate down to the consumer was really important for us as well as we began to f- formulate new products, understand messaging, uh, et cetera. And I'll tell you what was really interesting is some of the learnings I had early on in regards to digital and how to reach the consumer from a, a digital perspective. We ran a re- what I thought was a really great enter to win where they had to upload a little bit of uh, user-generated content, like a 30-second clip. I don't remember all the exact details, but the point was is that we thought it was great. The prize was really awesome. It was a huge like Red Rocks concert, gives you the transportation, all kinds of products. We got like two, three entries. And, and that's when we realized like, hmm, okay, maybe the cannabis consumer is not quite ready to start uploading who they are and, and how they're consuming. And so rapidly change some of the digital strategies as a result. Talk to me about the marketing team that you built out around you. Who were the kinds of people that you were looking to hire and would be curious to hear how marketing roles have evolved throughout the, your decade in, in Canada. Well, there's some things that haven't changed, actually. I was going to say early days, you know, it was a real focus on people who had a passion and understanding for the plant. I don't think that's changed. I actually really gravitate towards that. Luckily, in every role I've been in, I've been able to surround myself with really smart people because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do the, the work that I do either because I need that support and I need and I need their brilliance to help make the brand really go. So it was a lot of graphic design, marketing strategy. It was, I think, understanding the basic tenets of, of social media initially. And then once we began to see cannabis-specific social media platforms proliferate, but also how to understand the rules of existing platforms like Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, we had to kind of shift that that knowledge set a little bit. 
And I would say fast forwarding, not too dissimilar, except that it's much larger. So we have field marketing out in throughout the country. We have about 10 people underneath that umbrella. We have a whole graphic design and a creative team. We have content development. We have strategists. So it's a much broader um, set because obviously we're larger, right? At this point, Wanda is in 15 states, uh, two countries. So we have uh, a depth and breadth that didn't exist early on. And that was always the struggle for cannabis in the early days was having enough support for rapid growth, but also recognizing that we just didn't have the rest of the infrastructure to support that as a company. So so speaking of water brands, I would love to hear about the transition from Dixie, one leading cannabis brand, to Wana, another. Talk to us about that transition and why you decided to join Wana and, and then a little bit about the journey there so far. So it was, again, 2014. Uh, I got to know a lot of the people in the industry here in Colorado because we'd be at the Capitol together, you know, working on legislation, working with regulators. And that's where I got to know Nancy Whiteman a little bit. And I remember the very first time I met her, and I've told her this story before, we were at a bunch of us were together at a Panera Bread, I think, somewhere downtown and discussing some of the upcoming legislation. And I was really impressed by how smart and, and how she kind of held herself. And I was uh, very excited to to get to know her a little bit. And at the same time, what she told me is that she was watching Juana and admiring kind of what we were doing on the brand side and wishing that, you know, she kind of had someone like that on her side. So the point is, is we knew each other, we kept in touch, had a great relationship as colleagues and, and friends. And then as things go, kind of ran its course. And I left for the edible side of things for a couple of years. And I went with a ancillary business for a little while. And then I was with a, a true hardware and software startup working on a meter dose inhaler device. And it was during that period of time where I began to meet with Nancy on a, on a fairly regular basis. And there was a point at which this former company, we had run into some issues with funding, et cetera. And so Nancy and I were, were connecting and this was just the beginning of COVID. So I was thinking about making a move and I was watching what was happening with COVID in real time, right? Like everybody was, as things began to shut down, as more and more problems began to arise as a result. And I called Nancy and I said, look, she was talking about maybe doing some consulting. I said, I think I'd like to come work for you if that's possible. And that was all she needed to hear. And we ended up making it happen. So I started the the first week of lockdown here in Colorado, working from my basement. And it's been an absolutely amazing journey ever since. Because it is challenging in this industry, I think, to find the right cultural fit and the right environment. And despite the fact that I've had plenty of experience. It, it took me this long to realize that I'm happiest when my values are aligned with the company's values. And that seems very obvious, right? And for those who are just starting out in the industry, this is, I think, a really important point. Finding that right fit with your values makes all the other stresses of this industry, which there are many, just much easier to deal with. So the minute I joined Nancy and, and the WANA team and was surrounding myself with great people, I realized that this was what I'd been missing and this was the right place for me. One, one thing that I've always admired about Wana and the Wana team is a completely bootstrapped business, which is so rare and impressive in cannabis. Can you talk to us about the difference of working for a bootstrap business like Wana versus some of the other businesses that you work to, which had raised venture capital or had raised external funding? Absolutely. And, and you're right. Nancy's story and the way that she grew Wana with no debt, with no outside investors, basically funding it out of operations and grew it to the size that she did. I hate to, to sound typical, but it's a unicorn. That doesn't happen very often in any industry, but certainly not in cannabis. And it 
drives a different perspective in terms of the brand, in terms of your product development, in terms of your, your marketing, because you have much greater control over what you do. You're not answering to a venture capitalist. You're not worrying about what's my next round of funding look like. So let me do this thing that maybe makes me look good on the books so that I can then go out and raise more dollars. Completely different perspective. And I think that's a real challenge in this industry right now because of banking and, and 280E and all the other reasons that we know. Uh, so many companies are cash starved and need the resources. And so they do things that maybe aren't in the best long-term interest of the company. They're building themselves for either uh, the sale or some type of acquisition or merger. And so it's just a different perspective from what Nancy has done was to to build a brand and a company that was able to live its its values every day, inside and out. And so, by the way, when I talk about brand, I don't just mean it from the marketing perspective. I mean the entirety of the company, all of our employees, the way we interact with our partners, um, how we do business, that's all part of the brand in my mind. And it allowed us to, to really, I think, organically grow something that very few companies in cannabis have the opportunity to do. No, and I, it's completely a unicorn. I can't think of another brand in cannabis that has grown to be as large as Juana that was completely bootstrapped. And so it's a, it's a total testament to the brand, the culture, the team. And it's so cool hearing from you that when you joined in like the deep of COVID, the culture was so strong that it was able to carry you all through COVID, even with employees working from their basements. Yeah. And to this day, actually, because we it varies by team within our company, but we allow each of our departments to kind of figure it out on their own. My, my team still works remotely. Every once in a while, we'll come to the office together, but ultimately everyone gets their work done. And that's just kind of the, the culture we have. I think it's driven by a passion that everyone has for the brand, for the products, and for how we enhance people's lives. So one of the things that you talked about was the brand living the values internally and externally as the CMO, how do you make sure that everything you're doing is staying on brand and, and living the values? What are some tactical things that other marketers out there can do to make sure that they don't go off brand? Well, I think th- the first thing I would say is yourself with people who understand the brand. So you've got you've to drive that education and the passion for those values internally so that you can be sure that we may not always hit the mark, but at least everyone is trying their best to, to live those values in every interaction they have. Two, you set some, some ground rules for yourselves as a company. And not only do you have the written mission, vision values, the way that you know, many companies do, but you use those right on a daily basis and you check in with those and you say, okay, is this decision running afoul of, of any of the things that we've listed here as being our values or, or mission or our vision and ensure that your, your teams are kind of aware of it as well. And you're using that as a decision-making matrix as, as well. And you hold each other accountable. I mean, I, you know, as the, as a chief marketing officer, I can't be in all places at all times across all departments. And frankly, no one would want me to be anyway. But when we have uh, alignment internally, then I can know that our chief revenue officer, Eric, is thinking about it the same way that I am, or Mike, our, our VP of innovation is thinking about it the same way that I am. So when there are questions, we can come together and either say yay or nay, right, to move forward on something, or we can look each other in the eye and say, you know what, that it wasn't really on brand for us. So let's, you know, let's, the next time let's, let's rethink the way that we approach that. And you know, the, that accountability is really important. And I think everyone in the company would say that they feel pretty confident up and down the chain that we can hold each other accountable. Now that you've been acquired, uh, you know, we just spent time talking about how Wanda Brands is super unique in the sense of you never raised outside 
capital. You never took on debt. You were a unicorn in the sense that you didn't have to answer to anyone besides your own customers and team, frankly. And now you've been acquired. Talk to us about that process and what it's like now being post-sale life. So one thing to clarify is, and and this was something that's a nuance that I think a lot of people maybe missed, is that it actually is not a, a full acquisition in the traditional sense in that because they're publicly traded on the Canadian markets, they, they weren't actually able to acquire us directly. So what they acquired were, was the right to acquire us if and when a federal permissibility event occurs. And I use that language specifically, A, because it's kind of contractually what's in the, the language, but B, it doesn't have to be full legalization. It could be you know a change in banking, things like that, that would then allow them to trigger that option to acquire us. So as a result, it's this best of all worlds. We're still very independent, which I think Canopy, frankly, would would want us to be because I think we have a successful model and they recognize that and they value and appreciate that. That's why they were interested in us. But we still have this, um, let's say, big brother, big sister kind of behind us that we can tap into for resources like you know input, direction, their insights on things. And and as such, we're, we're in constant and regular contact, providing guidance as to where we're going and what we're doing. But we also are not necessarily beholden to a direction from Canopy, nor would they give that direction. So it's a little bit of uh, meshing of cultures, but not not completely yet. It's kind of nice because you can ease into it because so many acquisitions become challenged when you try to combine the two companies overnight, right? Generally, in my experience, that doesn't work very well unless you've really thought through it. We're able to take the time to, to really integrate and get to know each other before we have to, to fully integrate. Yeah, and, that, and, and I think that is a nuance that sometimes when people read headlines, they don't know all the, the nuances. So that's super interesting. I, I actually just am lear- learning that from you. So that's amazing and really truly sounds like you can have best of both worlds and, and ease into the, the new relationship. Switching ahead, as you just talked to us about the last 10 years in marketing for cannabis, what are you looking forward to for the next 10 years? I'm sure there's marketers out there that are listening to this podcast. They're thinking, I want to get involved. I want to help shape a new state, maybe a new state like New York. What are your predictions and, and what kind of advice do you have for new marketers coming into the space? Wow. Okay. So there, there's a lot, lot there. Let me kind of start by saying, I think for any marketer in this space, you have to understand, have respect for, and a passion for the plant. I mean, and it that maybe sounds, I don't know, stereotypical or, or typical to say, but I think a lot of people miss that. They, marketers in particular get the idea of adventure and like starting a new industry and blank slates and all that. That's great. But if you don't understand, have a fundamental understanding of the plant and why it's a special thing, you're probably not going to be a great marketer in cannabis. So that's one. Two, even in the next 10 years, or maybe even more so in the next 10 years, flexibility and the ability to be patient and to make twists and turns as quickly as you need to, critically important because I don't think it's going to slow down. I don't think it's going to become any more calm in the next 10 years. If anything, like I said, I think it might ramp up depending upon what happens with legalization and other companies getting industry. We're we're only in sort of the second, I would say, cycle of the industry right now, and there's there's many more to come. Always understand and pay homage to to those who kind of came before. And I know that I'm sitting here with Juana, a great company, just went through acquisition, all that. But I, I don't necessarily say that I shouldn't be here, but I also say there are a lot of people that are still languishing in jail. And until those things get solved, until we have some kind of equity across the board, 
we're going to be holding ourselves back. And I think we are doing a disservice because we have this opportunity. So as a marketer, think about that first and foremost uh, as part of your, your overall marketing plan. And then lastly, I would say stay on top of innovation and consumer needs and trends. I think the the potential for the plant in terms of what it can do and, and who it can work for, we're at the very, very, very you know tip of that iceberg. There's so many more ways that the the plant and the science behind it's going to improve over the next 10 years. So thinking about it in terms of what are the consumer needs states and how can we provide products that benefit, that, that's where I think innovation should go versus what's a new flavor or, oh, what if we do throat lozenges instead of uh, chocolates? I mean, that, that's, I'm thinking in terms of edibles, but that's not innovation. That's just, you know, flavor profiles, right? True innovation comes from understanding the consumer needs. And, and there are a lot of them out there right now. There's a lot of consumer needs that I think um, cannabis can at least in part help answer. So, Joe, our last question for you before we wrap up, if you could wave a wand and have one thing happen in the cannabis industry tomorrow, what would that wish be? I have two wishes. Can I, can I maybe? Sure, you can have two. You can have two. Okay. So two wishes that are probably related is uh, figure out a way for everyone to coalesce around a, a plan that works for diversity, equity, and inclusion, a plan that does allow for um, equitable access to this industry across the board. I've yet to see one from people that are great proponents of, of diversity and equity. I've yet to see one that really works across the board and, and is effective. So that'd be part one. Related to that would be fixed banking and 2EDE. Legalization, whatever happens with that, okay, down the road. But in the meantime, fixed banking and, and 2EDE. Two great answers, and and I think so many people that have been in the space for a long time are, like yourself, are working hard to try to come up with solutions, and it's a challenge, but I feel confident that we'll get there, as, as I'm sure you do too. I always think about how many challenges this industry has already overcome, and the people behind the industry like you, and the rest of the WANA team, and the Dixie team, I mean, these are people who will run through walls and not stop till it happens, so I'm so excited to continue watching your career, and and thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed talking with you and look forward to uh, doing that again. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.